0: Thank you, Kenneth and Sealing, for leading us in service, as well as a time of singing praises to our Lord. Uh, Indeed, it's my privilege and joy to be here today to share with us God's word, and I'd like us to uh, commit this time to our God in prayer. Shall we pray? You will grant us clear understanding of your words, and you will work through my feeble lips to preach your words faithfully, and that your words will take root in our hearts, bear fruit, and that it will leave Lives that glorify Your name, for we pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. So, not too long ago, I purchased a new MacBook, and right after that, I was struck with post-purchase the dissonance. There was a million questions which ran through my mind. Did I make the right choice? Is there a better laptop out there? Is there enough RAM? enough storage space? Is there anything else I need to add to this MacBook? What happened if the MacBook would die on me? Do I need to buy extended warranty? What if three months down the road, Apple decide to reduce the price? Or even worse, Apple decide to launch a new MacBook with better features three months down the road? Post-purchase dissonance dis- dis- gets worse with big-ticket items, such as buying a car or a house. And lingering doubt also affect the major decisions in our lives. Is this the right school for me? Is this the right job? Did I marry the right person? Oftentimes, even when I minister to people in their deathbed, they ask the same question. Is Jesus enough for me? Or is there something more I need to do? Especially in a time of crisis or pandemic like now, we too may struggle with the question, Is Jesus enough? Is he sufficient? Today we will continue on our Colossians series. When Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians, he was in prison. Paul was not physically present with the Colossians. But a group of false teachers were present in Colossae, and they were very persuasive. Their aim is to deceive Christians and lead them astray with plausible, fine-sounding arguments, to sow post-purchase dissonance into the Christians, to cause them to have lingering doubts about Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is good, but... Is he good enough? So Paul wrote the letter to both encourage them to stand firm in Christ so that they will not be swept away by the wind of false teaching and to rebut these false teachings as well. Now it's like when your son or daughter goes overseas to study. For the first time in your life, your precious baby, your precious child is living your protection, living your sight. They will now face the dangers of the real world on their own. What do you say to them and what will you leave with them? First, like a loving father, Paul tells them of his great love for them, that every ounce of his strength, he struggles and labor for them, for them to know Christ, to walk in him and to be united in love. This is the best defense against false teaching. We see back in chapter 1, Paul prays unceasingly for the Colossians to know Christ. He goes through affliction to make the word of God fully known to them, in verse 24, and to present the supremacy of Christ to them. And today, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So in light of the false teachers, Paul wants the Christians, to, Paul wants their hearts to be encouraged and united in love. And their minds to grasp the full understanding of Christ to be fully assured in Him, so that they will not be deluded by these false teachings. See, when you are united in Christ's love, you will not be torn apart by these false teachings. And when you fully understand who Christ really is, then you will be able to spot a false teaching about Him. Verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. So, what Paul is saying here is this that knowing Jesus is not a once off affair, it is a continuous daily affair of having a relationship with him. That's what it means to walk in Him. Just like marriage is not just the wedding ceremony, but a lifelong commitment to each other. And when you have Jesus in your life, you will be like a tree rooted in Him, like a building, built up and established in the faith, abounding with thanksgiving. So brothers and sisters in Christ, the only chance your son or daughter who goes overseas to study or when you or your spouse travel for work is Christ. To walk in Him, rooted, built up and established in Christ. If not, we will definitely fall away. So, what are these false teachings? And what did Paul warn them about? And what hope do we have in Christ? First, we see that the false teachers are saying, yeah, Jesus is good, but is Jesus good enough to make us wise? We need philosophy. We need Jesus plus wisdom. See, there's nothing wrong with philosophy, the love for wisdom. After all, God has given us the wisdom literature in the Bible, isn't it? Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, but Paul warns them here in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The wisdom that these false teachers are advocating are worldly wisdom. They are empty, deceitful, and they enslave you. And on the surface, this worldly wisdom is according to human traditions. But deep beneath, it is the work of elemental spirits of the world, most likely demonic forces. And this wisdom is definitely not of Christ. So young people in our midst, the world will try to win you over with many fine-sounding arguments on TED Talks, on songs, in movies. Arguments such as Believe in yourself. You are doing all right by yourself. I am who I am meant to be. And if you and I were to establish ourselves on this worldly wisdom, then it's like building your house on sand. It will soon collapse. And beware that this wisdom, there are no wisdom at all. It will lead you away from Christ and only leave you in misery. So there's a young man whom I was supposed to meet up for counselling next week. He's in his 20s and he works in a bank. He used to attend a church, but not anymore because he has decided to walk away from Jesus. And now he has an addiction problem. He's addicted to cough syrup. But before I get to meet him next week, three days ago, I received the sad news. That this young man in his 20s has passed away at home, died of an overdose. But for us Christians, wisdom is not philosophy or fine sounding argument. According to Paul, wisdom is a person and his name is Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, tells us that Christ, in whom are heathen, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you want wisdom, it is found in Christ. If you want to be wise, come to know Him personally. Grow in understanding of His works and words. And true wisdom is only found in our Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus is enough to make us wise. Next, the false teachers are saying, yeah, Jesus is good, but is Jesus enough to meet God's requirements? I guess we better take matters into our own hands. We need to keep the law. We need Jesus plus legalism. But Paul wants the Christians. Paul wants them in verse 16. That let no one pass judgment on you. See these false teachers, they are trying to play God by playing judge. And what laws are they trying to impose? You see, although the church in Colossae are made up of mainly Gentile Christians, but scholars believe that some Jews are trying to impose Jewish laws upon the Gentiles, that they need to keep the food laws and observe the festival, celebrate the new moon, and keep the Sabbath. Hmm, we are not sure if Christ's death on the cross is sufficient to meet God's requirement. So we better take matters into our own hands. Legalism can take different forms. One form of legalism is this, that it doesn't matter that God has sent His Son to save us. It doesn't matter that Christ has fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf. We still need to keep the law, for God even God is not above the law. The second form of legalism is where we are only interested to keep the letter of the law, but not the spirit. Keeping the law with no love. Eh, the law says, you should not kill. All right, we will keep this part. You shall not kill. Ah, but wait, look, my neighbour has fallen into the pool and he's drowning in the swimming pool. Eh, but there's no law on helping a dying neighbour. There's no law to say that I need to rescue a drowning person. So we don't need to keep that one. And the third and most common and deadliest form of legalism is this, that God's law is insufficient because God's law is silent on too many grey areas of our lives. The Bible is silent on drinking wine, on playing cards, on what movies to watch, whether we, are, we, we should watch Harry Potter movie or not. is silent on listening to pop songs. And although God has given us the freedom to decide, these false teachers advocate that I guess we need to add our own rules to these grey areas and we will treat them as divine. We will enslave people to our man-made rules and we will make these matters the test the external test of true authenticity in Christ. Legalism is dangerous because it makes us proud and deluded. See, basically, legalism is a form of self salvation. If I can meet God's requirement merely by keeping all the laws, then there's really no need for Jesus Christ. And they are deluded because the whole purpose of God giving us the law is to help us to see that we cannot keep the law. For the law serves as a mirror to help you and I see that we have fallen short of His standards and we so desperately need His help. Legalism also causes us to condemn and look down on others, on those who fail to keep our laws. It causes division. Here in Singapore, there's a certain Christian denomination. This denomination was divided over the use of the Bible version. And the denomination speed twice and fall out with each other because they elevated a secondary matter over and above Jesus Christ. One can make the use of the King James Version Bible as a litmus test of true Christianity. If you don't use the King James Version Bible, then you don't belong to Christ and we want nothing to do with you. Legalism also takes away God's grace and reduces Christians back to being enslaved to the laws and to the human lawmakers. Hence, many Christians give up and leave the faith because Christianity is reduced to a set of do's and don'ts and they just cannot keep up with all the laws, there's simply no joy in legalism. But Paul assures us that we don't need legalism. In verse 16, Paul said, Do not let anyone else judge you other than God. Only God has the right to demand that we obey Him and not others. And hey, guess what? In verse 9 and 10, For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells. And you have been feared in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus is God, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And Jesus is judge because he is the head of all rule and authority. And guess what? Jesus is on our side. We have been feared in him through Christ He made us complete. How so? In verse 14 and 15, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Through Christ, God has cancelled our debt and legal demands which stood against us by kneeling it on the cross. You know, back in the days of Jesus, they would kneel the least of crime along with the criminal on the cross. And God has took our sins and nailed them to the cross, but not with us on it. But Jesus took our place on the cross. And we, we have been set free. You know, sometimes you and I, when we visit our friends when we, at, their, at their home, when they host us, uh, oftentimes we don't go empty-handed. We we'll perhaps bring some fruits or a bottle of wine or some food to contribute, isn't it? But here we see that Jesus is not transactional. It is okay to come empty-handed to Jesus. It's okay. That's precisely the point. You can be You can commit some of the most terrible sins in the past. And you may be living under the crushing weight of guilt and shame. You can be the most broken person in the world right now. Jesus came to seek and save lost, the lost sinners like you and me. People who recognise that they cannot keep the law and have nothing to offer to Jesus. They are the ones who need Jesus the most because in Christ, they have everything. And through the cross, God declares to the rulers and authorities of the world that they have been defeated. Look, now these are my people. They now belong to me. Verse 17, And these are a shadow, of the things to come, referring to the Old Testament laws and ceremonies. But the substance belongs to Christ. See, Old Testament ceremonies, sacrifices, cleansing rituals are mere shadows or signposts, sign pointing to a future promise of true forgiveness, complete forgiveness and cleansing and reconciliation with God. But by themselves, these laws and sacrifices, they can never make us complete before God. They are but signposts, shadows pointing to Jesus that one day forgiveness and reconciliation will come to us through the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now the promise has arrived in Christ. Christ is the reality, the substance. He's the real thing. And so Christ is enough to meet God's requirements. You and I don't need to keep the law. We only need Jesus. And so often, you and I, we will meet low ballers on carousel. Low ballers are people who uh, refuse to uh, pay uh, the the asking price and they offer you a ridiculously low uh, uh, buying price. So for example, uh, you plan to sell uh, your laptop on carousel, you ask for $500, but the lowballer will come along and offer you $50 or maybe $10 to buy your $500 laptop. See, the real reason why these false teachers offer to keep the law is because they refuse to give their whole life to Christ because He's not their Lord. They only offer Him peanuts for salvation by keeping the law. That is an insult to Christ. The price that Christ demands is our whole life, seen in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. So don't insult him by offering to keep the law. Next, the false teachers are saying that Jesus is good, but is Jesus good enough to connect us to God? We need to connect with God through divine mysticism. We need Christ plus divine experience. In verse 18 and 19, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourish and knit together Through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. These false teachers they claim to be superior over others because they have divine experience and special connection to God. Hey, I don't read the Bible, and I don't care what the Bible says, but I am connected when I'm connected to nature. When I stand by the ocean, I feel relaxed. I feel the presence of God, and I know that God is speaking directly to me. And the worship of angels could mean that they really worship angels, but unlikely. The most likely meaning is that they want that glorious experience of worshipping God In heaven with the angels. So they go on boasting about seeing heavenly visions and dreams that God revealed directly to them. So Jesus is no longer God's final and ultimate revelation, but they are. I speak in tongues. I have divine dreams. I see visions. I break out in holy laughter. I'm more connected to God than you. They make you feel small inadequate. You are a mere second class Christians because you do not have these divine experiences. Hence, you're disqualified. We see that these false teachers are puffed up. They're proud. We don't need a mediator. We don't need Jesus. In fact, some even claim to be the mediator between God and man. They call themselves rich doctors, medium, bomo, tanki, they think that they have only they have special and secret insight to God and knowledge of him. But here we see that Paul has some really strong words for them. Paul called them out. He said that their mind is sensuous, unspiritual, and they are disconnected from Christ, the head. And we see that there's really no secret knowledge or, or experience of God. For God has revealed to us all we need to know about Him in the Bible through His living and active Word. In chapter 1, verse 25 of Colossians, Paul labours hard to make the Word of God fully known. And the purpose of making God's Word fully known is because God's words connect us to Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, we can reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And Christ Christ connects us directly to God. So even while the false teachers seek to disqualify believers with the need to have special visions, in Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 12, God has already qualified us through Christ to be part of his kingdom, to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Like. So you and I, we don't need to have mysterious experiences of God, for we can know God directly through Christ. For Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 says, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, and with our connection to God through Christ, the head, Paul also wants us to be connected to the church, Christ's body. Paul wants us, the church, to be knit together in love, in verse 2. And as a church, Christ is the one who nourishes us, need us together, and God is the one who causes us to grow, in verse 19. And one way. You and I can really know whether we are truly connected to Christ is when we grow in our love for each other. And Paul made this same claim in Colossians 1, verse 4 Since we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints, what Paul is saying is that our connection to Christ the head will be expressed in our love for his body. So during this pandemic, our children's church, our basic, our DGs, they, we are, they are all on Zoom and granted that the virtual platform may not be the most ideal, but it allows us to connect with the body of Christ. And I'd like to encourage us to join in and not to be disconnected from your brothers and sisters in Christ for us to come together to encourage one another with our presence and to grow together in God's words. Finally, we see the false teachers are saying, is Jesus good enough to help us to live holy lives? We want to live holy lives by beating ourselves up. We need Jesus plus asceticism. We see in verses 20-23, to if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world? Do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what exactly is asceticism? In Greek, it means exercise or training. So the false teachers view worldly pleasures as distraction to a holy life. And so they train and exercise severe self-discipline and avoid all forms of indulgences. And they abstain from certain food or drink. They forbid to marry and live in poverty. Do not hinder, do not touch, do not taste. Some of them we have met along the way No, they can fast for a long time fast for perhaps 10 days but I can't even fast for 10 hours without getting gastric pain and others would they would push it further as they promote severity to the body by exposing themselves to heat and cold by walking on their knees by walking across burning coals they flog themselves with whips and pierce themselves with knives. And we also see, similar to asceticism, is monasticism, where some of them, these false teachers, would withdraw from the world to live in isolation, in monastery, in caves, and on mountaintops, all thinking, all the while thinking, that they have attained a holier life. But this is what Paul said. Paul said that all this beating themselves up is useless. In verse 20 to 22, Paul said that these are all man-made wisdom and regulations that have nothing to do with Christ. Verse 23, it has no power to bring about any spiritual transformation. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In fact, with all that fasting from food and drink, it doesn't make you holier, it just makes you hungrier. And if you are like me, then angrier. For holy living is a matter of the heart, not of the stomach or the body. And I guess asceticism reflects their low view of God. You know, some of us will teach our children not to accept gifts of food from random strangers, right? Isn't it? Why so? Because perhaps your children have food allergies which the strangers know not of. So their gifts may turn out to be harmful to your children. So you advise your children to reject such gifts. Now for the false teachers who reject the gifts which God provided for them, be it food, drink, money, or spouse. What do you think it says about their view of God and their relationship with Him? That God is a loving Father? That God wants the best for us? And that He gives us good gifts? Don't think so. I think we have a pretty low view of God, more like God is bad, he gives us bad gifts. In fact, we do not view them as gifts, but as things which will stumble us. But we see that the Bible warns us against those who forbid people to marry and require us to abstain from certain food in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. And we also see that asceticism comes from a very poor understanding of what it means to live under God's grace. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, But on God, who's, who richly provide, provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. See, God has richly blessed us with everything for our enjoyment. God is good and every gift from Him are good gifts. We are to be wise stewards, to be generous, to bless others with the good gifts that God has entrusted to us and not to abstain from food, drink and wealth, but to share it with others. And our dear Pastor Jeff is a very good example why because he's always generous to share his durian with others over durian fellowship and not just that in colossians chapter 2 verse 7 paul wants us to be abounding in thanksgiving that when we receive good gifts from god we should thank him and use it for his glory but i guess our struggle may not be asceticism But our struggle is the same. Our struggle is a lack of thankfulness in our hearts to God and an unbelief that God is good and that He's willing to give us and bless us with good gifts. So we hoard and refuse to share the gifts that He has entrusted to us with others. We also see that monasticism, the practice of withdrawing from the world to live in isolation, is unbiblical and blatant disobedience. Why? Because it ignores Jesus' commands for his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, seen in Matthew chapter 28. And while we are not part of the world, we are in it. And the church was never intended to be isolated from people who desperately need to hear about Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, but Paul asserts that Jesus is enough to help us to live holy lives. For in Christ, verse 11 to 13, in Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him. Through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made a life together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Three very important things Paul mentioned in this passage. First, we were circumcised by Christ. Second, we were buried with him in baptism. And third, God made us alive together with Christ. These are not what God or or Jesus asked us to do, but what Jesus has already done for us. Our earthly flesh has been cut off by Jesus. We are circumcised in the heart, transformed and changed from within. As parents, we know that our children can be very disobedient caning can have some effect to change their behaviour. But when they grow older and their skin grows thicker, caning is of no use. And soon after you realise that they are taller and bigger than you, you can't cane them anymore. They really need Jesus because only Jesus can transform and change their hearts and to guard their foolish hearts from destroying themselves. And only in Christ do we get a heart transformation. In fact, Paul goes on to say in verse 12 that we were buried with Christ in baptism. In verse 20, that we died to the elemental spirits of the world. Our death together with Christ has set us free. Death frees us from our previous state. You know, when you die, you no longer have to pay taxes. You are not liable to to pay back your bank loans. You're released from all contracts. So with Christ, we die to the world. In fact, through the circumcision of the heart, for circumcision is a sign that we are now God's covenantal people. It is a mark that we now belong to God. For those of us who serve in full-time national service, you will understand this the best, that when you receive back your Pink Singapore IC is spelled the end of your two years of full-time national service. It is a change of status, status from military to civilian. It is a sign of your freedom. And my wife, she recently received her Pink IC. Nope, she did not serve national service, but she changed her citizenship because of me. And receiving her Pink IC is a mark that now she's truly a Singaporean. She can sing, this is home truly with gusto. Through Christ, he has given us new life. We are raised with him through faith and God made us alive with him. Christ has enabled you and me to die to self and to live for God. We don't need to beat ourselves to submission. In summary, it's Jesus enough for us according to paul jesus is more than enough for us for in him is wisdom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is hidden in christ for he helped us to meet god's requirement when he died on the cross to cancel our sins to make us right and righteous before god And Jesus is the only mediator between man and God. He connects us to God. And Jesus transforms our hearts and enables us to live holy lives for God. Jesus is enough for every situation of your life and mine. So let's continue to walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as we were taught abounding with thanksgiving. Amen. Now allow me to close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege of knowing Jesus and knowing your words. We pray that your word and Christ will take root in our hearts, that we will grow in our knowledge of Christ and that we will be fully assured in him, that you will continue to help us stand firm and be established in him, that we will be united with him in love and that we will stand as one body in Christ, that whatever wind or false teachings which comes our way, we will be able to stand steadfast and unmoved in Christ. We pray that you will enable us to be a blessing to the people around us, even as you have blessed us so richly through Christ, that your name will be glorified. We commit ourselves into loving hands,